Hi, you guys. Welcome. Um, I'm Emily. If we haven't met yet, I'm on staff here with Veritas. Um, so there's this thing. It's called the shopping cart theory. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with it. Um, but it's this popular theory, uh, at least popular on TikTok and Reddit. Um, and it's a theory that says, like, if you want to peer deep into the human condition, then look no further than a shopping cart in a parking lot. According to the credible sources of Reddit, um, the shopping cart is the ultimate litmus test of whether humanity can, without any sort of outside influence, do the good and right thing. So like meaning, um, there's no like rules to put your shopping cart back. Um, you're not gonna be personally rewarded for putting your shopping cart back. I mean, if you shop at Aldi, you might get a quarter back, but to be honest, like that's not really much of a reward. Um, and most likely, if you just leave your shopping cart or you like shove it into the median, like I know some of you do, um, most likely no one's gonna kill you or fire you or scold you. Um, but even all of that aside, I think most of us in this room would agree that there is the good and right thing, and that is to put the shopping cart back. And so what do human beings do? I think I have some pictures. Um, oh, it's kind of blurry. But um, I there's, went into a deep dive onto shopping cart theory, which turns out you can actually do a deep dive into the shopping cart theory. Um, but the New York Times did a really long piece journalism article, which my journalism major self like kind of geeked out over. Um, and you can find so many pictures of the, like, the wild and crazy places that people just decide to leave their shopping carts. Um, this guy named Banksy, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Banksy, he's a famous artist, um, and he's, he's famous and he's really mysterious because no one really knows his true identity. Um, but he got a hold of like the shopping cart theory and kind of like um, poked fun at it a little bit. Um, this is his painting, it's a, it's a kind of a redo of a famous painting from Monet that he just like decided to throw a couple of shopping carts in there. Kind of again, poking fun at like the beauty and the chaos that is the human condition. And so the shopping cart theory to me, um, it's funny, uh, but it's also ironic to me because I think when it comes to a shopping cart in a parking lot, uh, there, I mean, there are no rules, there are no restrictions, you can kind of do whatever we want. And as a human being living in the 21st century America, that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of the grounds of like what we want. Like we want to do, whatever we want, whenever we want, kind of as long as it doesn't harm anybody. But when it comes to shopping cart theory, we want that, but at the same time, like people are legit really passionate that there is a good and right thing to do, and that is to put your dang shopping cart back where it came from. Okay, so we've been in this series all semester where we have been asking some pretty hard questions of the Christian faith. And so for a lot of people, um, it's these questions that we've been going through um, that kind of keep people from really considering seriously Christianity or Jesus. And so as a community of people and, and as a ministry, we wanted to go there um, because I think there's people in this room that have questions, and I think the people in this room have friends with questions. And so we don't want to be a ministry. We don't want to be a community that kind of dances around the elephant in the room. Um, but we want to go there with people because I think it's in these questions that, that people are. And so tonight, we are going to ask the question, should you put the shopping cart back? No, I'm just kidding. Um, tonight, we're asking another question, um, but we're going to do it a little bit different maybe than we have throughout the semester. 
Um, because the question that we're asking tonight is actually a lot of questions. Um, we're asking, if you saw on social media, we're asking, what is the issue with getting drunk? We're asking, does God care if I drink underage? Um, we're asking those, and we're also going to ask ourselves, I'm going to ask us to examine our own selves and our own hearts um, about why we, we want to drink. And so all of these things we're going to get to tonight. Um, before we get there, a little bit about me, for those of you who don't know me. Um, I grew up in a home um, where drinking and, and alcohol was was pretty normal. Um, my, that was kind of just the way that my parents socialized and like made friends and did life with other people. Um, and so for, I mean, all of my life, alcohol and drinking was just kind of like this normal thing. Um, and when I got into high school, I started partying and drinking um, until I became a Christian, probably my um, junior year of high school. And then suddenly, like none of my Christian friends talked about drinking. Like, I, I, I grew up where this thing was super normal. It was just like, it was just a thing. Um, we definitely talked about it. And then suddenly my Christian friends um, treated it as if this was like taboo almost. Um, and whenever we did talk about it, we talked about it as if it was something that was out there that like those people um, did or, or struggled with. But us in here, I mean, we don't do it. We don't, we don't really struggle with it. And we definitely don't talk about it. And so I found myself as a new Christian, um, coming into college, really confused about what I thought about alcohol um, and what God thought about alcohol. And so it was actually a, a Christian that sat me down um, and, and explained what the Bible had to say about alcohol. And that was, that was like one of the most life-giving things for me. And so I don't know about you, but I would, I would guess that in a room this size, um, I mean, we're coming from so many different places when it comes to drinking. And so I would bet in a room this size, um, some of you have maybe never had a drink in your life. Uh, some of you probably have the occasional drinks with friends, like pretty regularly. I would bet that some of you um, have never seen or like seen modeled for you a healthy relationship with alcohol. I would bet that some of you um, have probably gotten drunk before and maybe even have a past of getting drunk that you're maybe trying to break away from. I would bet that for some of you, um, for some of you, maybe you've struggled yourself with addiction or have been affected personally by someone close to you that struggles with alcoholism. And then I would bet that for some of you, you're here because your friend brought you tonight. Um, and to your friend, I would say bold move on a night like tonight. We're getting a little spicier maybe than normal. Come back next week. Um, the heat's going to be turned down. And we're going to be, well, way down because we're going to be outside um, underneath the magic tree. But come back next week. Um, I'm really glad that you're here tonight regardless. But in a room this size, what I'm trying to get at um, is we're coming from, like, legit so many different places with drinking. Um, I mean, how drinking and how alcohol was shaped for you by the people in your life, by the environments that you've been in, is, is honestly probably than the, different than the person next to you. And so, so many different places coming together, honestly, so many different questions. Um, I'm probably gonna like leave you hanging in some ways. I can't even begin to answer all of the questions around drinking, but we're going to try. <laughs> and um, tonight we're doing a deep dive into drinking. And while we're answering all of these questions, 
um, what I want us to see, and we're going to come back to this like over and over again tonight, um, is that throughout all of these questions, I think that there is a question beneath all of these questions. Um, and that question is something that we have to wrestle with for ourselves. Um, and that question is, do you believe that God's ways are for your good? Do you believe that God's ways are for your good? I can't answer that for you. That's something that you're going to have to wrestle with that on your own. Um, okay, so first, diving in. I want to start with the fact that the Bible does not um, condemn alcohol. Uh, I would assume, again, in a room this size, there's probably been some people here that have grown up in a context or maybe a church uh, that has really demonized or condemned, like, all use of alcohol all the time. And to be honest with you, I really don't think that the Bible does that. Um, throughout the Bible, we see that uh, wine um, and alcohol is, is used as a symbol for blessing, joy, and celebration. In, in the Bible, God's people are repeatedly referred to, um, compared to, um, as a vineyard, Jesus being the true vine. When people would talk and, like, look forward to the day that Jesus was one day going to come and reign, people would talk about that day as, and I'm quoting here, where wine would flow freely. Like, again, symbolizing the joy and the blessing and the celebration that would happen when Jesus' reign would be established. And then, of course, Jesus' first miracle, like, we love to bring this up, but it's true. Like, Jesus started his first, uh, his earthly ministry, his first miracle was at a wedding, turning water into wine. And so alcohol in and of itself is not bad. Um, it's actually good. It's got, the Bible presents it as a good gift that's been given to us by God. And so... With that, the Bible also kind of gives us these boundaries around alcohol to keep it a good thing. And so before we get into some of those boundaries and like what they are and stuff, um, I wanted to take a moment to talk for a moment about boundaries, about rules, all of that jazz. Um, because to be honest, we don't really like being told what to do. Uh, we want to live like the shopping cart theory, uh, however we want, whenever we want, as long as it doesn't harm anyone. And in the famous words of Princess Elsa, we want no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. And Christianity uh, can sometimes seem like a list of rules. And rules restrict us. They, don't, they can't possibly lead to our, our happiness or our fun. And so consider this for a second with me before we, before we go there. Um, what if the absence of boundaries maybe leads to chaos? <laughs> maybe maybe um, the absence of boundaries leads to chaos. And maybe um, what if sometimes rules can lead to our flourishing? So to kind of illustrate this, um, I want us to consider how wine is made. I know it's relevant. It's like I picked that. Um, but if you, if you don't know, uh, wine is made from a grape, from a grapevine. And grapevines need something called a trellis. I think I have a picture. Yeah. Um, so this is a beautiful vineyard. Um, but the grapevines need a trellis in order for the, the plant to grow up and then out. Whenever it does that, it's able to produce really, like, good fruit and enough fruit uh, to make wine. And so whenever a grapevine doesn't have a trellis, which also a trellis um, in some languages are, are, 
are translated directly into a rule. So like a trellis in some languages means literally a rule, a structure. Um, and so whenever a plant doesn't have a trellis, it, it can't grow up and then out. And so it just kind of sprawls out on the ground. And what happens then, um, it's not that it doesn't produce fruit or that it dies. And I found that really interesting. The plant is still able to produce some fruit, but the fruit is like really small. It doesn't taste good. It's likely like shriveled up. You definitely like don't want to eat it or make wine with it. And so it's not, the, it's the, the, the plant itself will still exist, um, but it won't flourish. It needs the structure, a trellis, in order to grow up, in order to produce fruit, and in order to flourish. And so what if God doesn't put rules in our lives, God doesn't put boundaries in our lives just to restrict us, but actually because it would lead to our flourishing, that it's for our good. Okay. So let's kind of dive into what these boundaries are around drinking. Uh, the first that we're going to talk about tonight um, is, our, the, the first boundary that we're going to talk about tonight around drinking is the law. And I know what some of you are already, like, thinking in your head. Like, is she really going to say that? Like, the law, really? Everyone breaks it. Um, what about speeding? And um, I hear that all the time because I have these conversations all the time. I probably said that myself at some point. Um, but to be honest, like that argument itself um, kind of falls apart pretty quickly. Because I think uh, we would all agree that let's take speeding, for example. Even though it's a law that a lot of people break, I think that we would all agree that speeding keeps ourselves safe and the people around ourselves safe on the road. And so it's got to serve some purpose, right? Even if you think it's a dumb law, it serves some purpose. And so in Romans, Paul kind of talks about this. And, and when it comes to drinking underage, I think this is a verse that we all kind of need to wrestle with. Um, and that, oh, hello. Um, that verse is Romans 13, verses 1 and 2. It says, Someone must submit to gov everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. Super fun. So according to, to Paul, God knows the law. God knows the people that have put the law in place. And so when we resist the law and disobey the law, we resist the very things that God has instituted and put in place. Another translation puts it really plainly that when we disobey the law, we disobey God. Now, if you view the Bible as just a list of rules, this is just another rule in the rule book, and I, and I get that. Um, and, and whether or not we, we, we agree with the law aside, I think God is up to something here that is about way more than just restricting our fun. So the Bible talks a ton about how the way that we live in society affects and shapes the way people view God. So in the Old Testament, over and over again, um, it talks about how God has given his law, different than the law, but his law to his people, uh, so that the way that they live their lives is to be countercultural to the culture around them, so that by the way that they live the li their lives, they show that God is good and his ways are good. God's people were and are to be holy, and that just means to be set apart or different than the world around us, because by the way that we are different, by the way that we live our lives, we're able to show a world that God is good and his ways are good. And so 
I'm going to talk really directly for a second to the Christians in the room that are under 21. When you drink underage, you miss out on what I think is one of the biggest ways that you can look different than the world around us. Whenever you choose to wait to drink until you're 21, like, again, I think that this is just one of the most tangible ways that you get to show with your own lives that your fulfillment and your joy comes from Christ and Christ alone and not from the things of this world. And so maybe, maybe you're on board with that and you're like, hey, I, I hear you. Um, I don't really drink in front of uh, my non-Christian friends because I, I totally get that. Uh, but if you're being really honest, um, when, when you get aside with just your close Christian friends, um, you do drink. And, and to you, I would, I would continue to just kind of push you. Um, what does that reveal about your heart and reveal about your friends? That whenever you get together that you're okay and maybe even justify disobeying God. I mean, what does it show about, about us if, if we're okay not drinking in front of those people, but when it, when it comes to us, our, our in circle, we're okay with drinking? I mean, does that not make us look no different than the world around us? Okay, um, so whether or not you choose to drink underage and whether or not you're, like, tracking with me and you're, like, offended at me already, um, I think something that we all have to come to and all have to answer for ourselves is do we believe that God's ways are for our good? Okay, one of the other boundaries that God gives us around drinking is around getting drunk. And so some of you are probably thinking, like, Okay, like, but what's, what's really drunk? Like, is it, is it two drinks? Like, is it three drinks? But, but I, I maybe, like, space them across the evening, so is that, like, drunk? Is it drunk whenever I get hungover or whenever I start to slur? Or, like, what, what, what defined drunk for me? And to be honest, I think if, if that's where we're starting about, like, where the line is, I think we're missing um, a lot, honestly. Because over and over again, the Bible talks about how what we do and how we live should flow out of our identity and our calling. So who we are should shape how we live our lives. Ephesians, um, in Ephesians 4.1, Paul, he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. In another place, he kind of gets um, more specific kind of talking about this idea of living out of our identity and our calling. Uh, this is one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. It says, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's like so much packed in there, and I wish I could like dive into it a ton. Um, but just kind of quickly, um, this, this passage is jam-packed with meaning and metaphors and illustrations. So Paul, he starts by saying, like, because of who you are and because of whose you are, he says, because of who you belong to, let us not be like the others. Our identity and our calling, it shapes how we live. 
And he uses uh, sober and drunk, I think, really intentionally here. Um, he uses it as metaphors, but I think as metaphors, he's illustrating what he means. And, and in that, I think it's an application of what he's saying. And so, because if you think about it, when we're sober, uh, we, we kind of have, we have clarity of mind. Uh, we're alert, we're awake, we're grounded in reality. And, and we're drunk, when we're drunk, uh, we're not alert. Um, our reality is distorted, our judgment is skewed. And so who you are shapes how you should live. Because of who you are and whose you are, be sober-minded. Because of who you are, you don't, you don't belong to the night. Elsewhere, we're given some pretty clear caution around getting drunk. Um, this is Paul again in the letter to the Galatians. Um, he goes on to talk about kind of two parts of ourselves. If you're not familiar with where we're going, he talks about the flesh and the spirit. And, and what he means by that is the flesh is a part of ourselves that is prone to sin. And, and the spirit is a part of ourselves uh, that, that is led by the spirit of God. And so when we have these two parts of ourselves, they're, they're constantly in conflict with each other. And they want what the other person or other one doesn't want. And so he's talking about this. He's, he's outlining this. Um, and he describes what the acts of the flesh are and where it leads. Super fun verse. Um, but he says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, I told you it's fun, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, goes on, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, I was supposed to say warn, not warm, that's fun. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Super fun. But so when we get drunk, Paul says that we live into the part of ourselves that is being led by sin. And, and that part of ourselves will lead us into a life that Paul says will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that is like a huge deal. I remember reading that earlier this week and like being like, woof, Paul, like are you for real right now? Like I don't know if you've been around for long, but that might be jarring to you like it was jarring to me. That is strong language. And I think what he's saying, um, he's warning us because our flesh, when we live out of that part of ourselves, um, it shapes us over time. And so whenever, whenever we live into the part of ourselves that is prone to sin, he's saying that that part of us is shaping us. Our flesh, we're being shaped in the way of our flesh and not the spirit. And so when we're being shaped by the part of us that's prone to sin, um, that part of us is shaping us away from the spirit of God, the kingdom of God, and God. Again, alcohol is a gift. Um, we haven't gotten to some of the positive stuff yet. Alcohol is a gift, and so it's not drinking itself that is shaping us away from God. Um, but whenever we overuse this gift that God has given us, whenever we, we overuse it, whenever we use it for our personal gain, or whenever we use it to get from it something that only God can give us, it's at that point um, that it starts shaping us away from God and his kingdom. Okay, so I want to go back to the question kind of beneath the questions um, for tonight. Um, and that question is, are God's ways for our good? Because, and this goes for drinking, this goes for like literally everything else in life, but whenever we go against God and his ways, at our root, at the root of that, underneath all of that, there's always something deeper. Because at its root, we go against God and his ways 
because we distrust that God's ways are for our good or we think that we know better than God. And sometimes I think we get caught up thinking that, um, that if it doesn't harm someone in the moment, then, it, then it's not sin. And with drinking, we can think like, oh, it's like just, I'm just getting drunk a few times with my friends or it's, it's a dumb law anyways. Um, and I just want to remind us that the original sin in Genesis was about eating a fruit. And the fruit seemed good and wise and desirable. In Genesis 3.6, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. The serpent got Eve to doubt that his ways were good. The serpent got Eve to think that she knew more than God, and so she sinned. Going against God's ways uh, might seem good. It might seem desirable. It might seem wise. I mean, in college, like getting drunk, drinking underage, like this is just like the norm. This is the water we swim in. But do you trust that God's ways are for your good? And do you trust that God might know better than you? Okay, so let's say that you're over 21 and you're not drinking to get drunk. You're trying to navigate alcohol and, and all of its cautions. Uh, how do we exist in this tension? Again, the Bible is not anti-alcohol. It, it is pro-alcohol with some caution and boundaries. Um, I think one of the best things that you and I can do is the next time we, we go for a drink or we know we're going to drink, uh, is to ask ourselves why. Like, why, why am I drinking? Why do I feel like I need to drink? Or maybe why do I want to drink in this moment? Because um, I think it's going to reveal a lot. Um, are you drinking because you feel like you need to fit in? Are you drinking because you don't feel like you're enough around those friends? I promise you, you will not find that in, in a bottle. Are you drinking because you feel like you need to escape or forget? Are you drinking to try and find some relief? Alcohol will never deliver on its promises. It will only leave you wanting more. So James 1.7, it tells us that every good gift comes from God. And so when we're able to see alcohol, all of that aside, like as a good gift that has come from God and not distort it to give us uh, something that only God can, not overuse it and get drunk, it is a good gift to be enjoyed, and I, I, like, I really mean that. I feel like I've been dogging on it a lot tonight, but like, it is a good gift. It's something that like, I, I drink alcohol all the time. Oh, that sounds bad, but you know what I mean. Like, it's something that I enjoy. I enjoy it with my friends. I enjoy it with my husband. And so when I was in college, it was actually um, an older Christians in my life that were the first people to model a healthy relationship with alcohol in my, in my life. Um, and imperfectly, of course, but I got to watch them uh, up close, like live in this tension um, and question their motivations and, and have honest conversations together. Um, and when they slipped up, they got to, I got to watch them hold each other accountable. I got to um, enjoy some of their really great cocktails and I got to watch them have fun without altering the state of their mind. And, and for me, they, they, were, they really helped me navigate alcohol for myself. And as the music team comes back up, um, I think often uh, we as a church and, and as Christians, we often stop at like what we're not allowed to do whenever it comes to drinking. Like we, we, we draw the line in the sand 
and, and we, we say, that's the line, I'm not going to cross it. Maybe I'm going to tow it, and, and whenever I do cross it, maybe I'm, I'm going to hide it because I don't really want anyone to know that I crossed the line. And, and to be honest, when I, th- I think that whenever that's our attitude around alcohol, we really miss out. We miss out on offering something better by the way that we live our lives. We miss out on showing people, uh, showing people that there is a fun, genuinely a fun way uh, to, to live in college and not alter the state of our mind. We miss out on loving people as they are and not just the drunk versions of themselves. We miss out on modeling a healthy relationship with alcohol for people who have never seen that modeled before. We miss out on living in reality instead of escaping it or, or trying to forget it. We miss out on setting an example for younger people. We miss out on enjoying God's good gift without distorting it. And we miss out on believing and experiencing that God's ways are for our good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we just come before you. Um, in, in probably so many different places uh, when it comes to alcohol, and probably there's still some questions left unanswered. Um, I pray that we would come to you for answers. I pray that we'd be a community of people, um, yeah, that it's just safe to like kind of wrestle with uh, what you say. Um, I pray uh, for the people here uh, as we go about our week, as we go about the holidays. Um, that we would just like really question in our, in our own hearts uh, whether or not we, we believe that your ways are good. Help us to see uh, alcohol the way that you do. Help us to see it as a good gift. Help us to, um, yeah, believe that your ways are good. Help us to be a community that encourages each other uh, to live and experience that. Um, it's in Jesus' name I pray. 